<laughs> she had a horrified look on her face. She said, look, I wouldn't want any of the teachers that I work with having a gun. 911, what is your emergency? I think I hear gunshots. It sounds like it's over towards the high school. Knee-jerk reactions don't pan out to be wise. I want somebody that's going to sit at the table and say, Mike, you are dumb. That is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And now, the safety zone. Good morning, Mike. Welcome to another episode of The Safety Zone. Good morning, Melinda. We're going to talk today as we're amazingly enough headed to uh, midsummer, I guess you would say, with the pandemic. It's been kind of strange losing ourselves on the calendar. But a lot of talk, even within my daughter's own school district of back to school, they're trying to set dates for the fall. Hers is actually after Labor Day, which is kind of nice for a change. But with all of the prep, we're starting to get some feedback from the district in our own district of what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, et cetera, going back to school. And brings up an interesting point from some dialogue that we've had that we really felt deserved an episode. And it really also entwines with current events and what we're seeing with police reform. But part of that is the concern with some of the police officers in the schools, the resource officers. And you mentioned to us that there's some shifting going on in the schools and some of it may not be a good shift. So why don't you enlighten us a little bit on what is going on right now with some of our schools? Absolutely. It's fair to say one of our big partners had asked me a couple of weeks ago, he said, you're becoming a voice for kind of some of the police reform dialogue that's happening in the country. And I said, but that is me. I was part of that for 25 years and I pushed for change within the police department. And sometimes you have to take a step out because you feel like you can do more outside than inside the organization. So the concept of police reform has been front and center for me for 25 years. What we're seeing right now that really kind of goes to the heart of my business and the company is many large urban school districts are moving very quickly to move police out of their schools. And anytime I see quick knee-jerk reactions, be it a state legislature Congress. Anytime we react to something extraordinarily fast, we're not going to do a really good job with it. And I think what I want to start with is to say, we need to take a deep breath and really understand what we're doing, what we think we're doing, and are we doing the right thing? Is it based on research? Well, I, I know some of this is could be based on the most recent U.S. Secret Service guide that came out last fall of 2019. And there's a statistic in there, and I believe it was 51 or 53 percent of active shooter events in schools. There was a police officer in that building. So we could take that one statistic and try to lay claim that simply having an officer in the building doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to prevent a shooting. True statement. Anecdotally, sometimes we don't understand what happens in the moments or seconds after a shooting by having a law enforcement officer in the building. For example, I spoke to an officer almost two years ago, suburban school district, active shooter kid, you know, hey, can I go to the bathroom? Leaves, goes, stops at his locker, grabs a pistol, comes back into the classroom and starts firing. The teacher mm. reacted extraordinarily brave, 
threw a ball, tackled him, got shot, Mm. severely uh, wounded. But there was a student that was also shot during this. And what we don't hear a lot of times, and because this is still kind of an active investigation in the sense that it hasn't been pushed all the way through both the court system, what we don't hear is that the first person in that room was the officer assigned to that building, and he immediately started to stop the bleed with that student mm-hmm. and potentially was the reason she lived. And a lot of times, we can't just look at numbers and make a decision mm-hmm. whether or not it's the right move to make. And I mention this a lot because over the last many years since Parkland, we've had this huge debate in the United States about should we arm teachers? And I never come out and say no, but what I come out and say is, let's ask a bunch of questions and talk through this and see if it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I will mention frequently, you can go to the gun range all day long. You can shoot static targets all day long, but until you dip a frog in hot water, you do not know how they're going to react. I can tell you going through a police academy of 26 weeks You can prep me all day long. You can run me through scenarios. Every day I'm at the academy, I know really you're not going to shoot me when I enter that building and clear it, or I might get popped with some kind of simunition that stings, but you're not going to kill me. You really don't know how I'm going to react until I'm placed in a fast moving situation. So what I want to do is really say, take a deep breath here. I don't think we want schools to be a Petri dish of experiment on whether or not police make them safe or unsafe in those buildings. My sister's a teacher. And and when that big debate came out, (laughs) she had a horrified look on her face. She said, look, she goes, I wouldn't want any of the teachers that I work with having a gun and not meaning in it bad way. But like she said, she goes, they probably end up shooting themselves, shooting their, not to mention teachers are under so much stress and to take that responsibility on them too. Now that doesn't mean it may not work for certain individuals or training, but I think sometimes we, like you said, we have that knee jerk reaction, but obviously our schools need protection. And you had mentioned that some of them are even starting their own police force, which I was really kind of shocked to hear that. How does that work? Really, it's not a relatively new concept. It's becoming a a newer concept in suburban and rural school districts. This has been a very common practice within larger urban school districts. And I'll be honest, I have not taken the time when I see the articles or headlines each day of more and more schools having discussions about pulling the police out of their schools. If I go to those school districts, I may find that many of them have police departments. Well, this is a interesting conversation because when a school has a police department, they are a police force as part of that school district. There is a huge distinction between a police officer working for a school police department and a school resource officer. Those are two extraordinarily different types of of policing that happen inside that school district. So I think a lot of what we're seeing right now, the debate is more generic. I don't understand what it means. Are you saying bring school resource officers out? Are you saying bringing police? Are you saying bring all police officers out? And I've had this conversation with the director of security, large urban Southwest state 
worked for a very large school district, and he's the director of security, former police officer. And he talks that he's in conflict a lot of times with the police department's approach to policing in the schools. They are police officers acting as police officers. So when I hear a lot of the discussion today about how students of color feel with police, my question is, is it police officers, police departments Mm -hmm. within the school district acting as police officers versus a school resource officer? Those are two extraordinarily different types of positions in a school. Well, because a police officer is more of a disciplinarian, right, uh, figure versus the resource officer that at least I know in my in my own daughter's school is really more of a builds relationships with the kids. It's not an adversarial role. Of course, he's there if, if there's issues, but it's more trying to really build communication and to build relationships. That's absolutely correct. A police department is going to be an enforcement wing. And I think some of the research that's been cited, yet I've not read through this research, but as I read synopsis of these research pieces, most of it is dealing with police that become the enforcement wing of the school district. And that's where a lot of this conversation is coming from. If you talk to school resource officers, and I'm telling you, I have friends that work in the schools, really good friends. One of them is actually, uh, I think he's now the president of NASRO. And we've had this conversation for years. And when they needed to ramp up more SROs in the school district where he's at, he said, that is so complex because he said, yeah, we may have a pool of, on his police department, there might've been a hundred officers. So he said, I've got an active group of a hundred police officers, but he said, very few of them are qualified to work in the school because they cannot separate and have a shift in what their role is. And it's not enforcement. It's building relationships. And think about what we talked about last week. We talk about recruiting. How do we get more women interested in policing, which is an interesting topic. I noticed the Indianapolis or Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department has a new recruit class coming out and may have the largest percentage of female recruits of any larger police department in the country. Mm. Encouraging. How do I recruit more men and women of color to become interested in law enforcement, Mm -hmm. become better representations of the communities they police. Yes. Well, to me, one way you can do this is by having the correct school resource officer in the building who's building relationships, teaching all the students what is policing about? How does this work? Mm-hmm. And be, get them interested in a career in law enforcement. Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't have somebody in there advocating to younger generation about why they should go into policing and how important this career can be, if you look at this, and I, unfortunately, I've told my kids, man, I do not want you in this. I did it. Your grandpa did it. You, my family, my uncles, most people have, want nothing to do with it right now. But that SRO, can be a real gateway to recruiting the right kind of young adults into a career in law enforcement. And that's true. You don't think about that. And and I think just building, like you said, it all goes into the recruitment aspect in general, but I think also building a better understanding of what a, a police officer 
is or should be, right? I think sometimes the view, especially with young people, and I understand, I mean, when we see things like George Floyd and, and we see, unfortunately, you know, the, the bad cops that aren't representative of the majority, but when they look at them as the adversarial, I think that's always, and especially with young people, right? It's not the type of role that really they want to take on, but it's also sometimes a, a misrepresentation, isn't it? That's exactly right. And when I look at an SRO and those that I know that do extraordinarily well in that position, they are extensions of the community, really. I mean, they really understand what we were trying to teach police departments in the 90s about community policing. Most police departments did not get it. They realized there's a lot of federal money So we get out of our car, we talk to people, but it was very structured. Okay, here's a sheet. Tell me how many times you got out of the car and talked to somebody today. I mean, it was very formalized. That's not relationship building. An SRO is really, they always have the the right temperament. They're engaging. When I walk into a school and during a passing period, and I watched the number of students that walk up to the SRO, high five, knuckles, elbow bumps, uh, talking, joking, and how that communication goes back and forth. It's very different. That's what's happening out on the street when you're in a pure enforcement mode where it's just the facts, ma'am, distance, professional, very right. kind of powerful it's a very different role. And so what what I'm cautioning schools is to say, don't move too fast. Because let's be honest, who is the active shooter in our schools? If we're just concerned with active shooter, which should not be our only concern by far. But if we're concerned about active shooter, which we have been for the last several years since Parkland, and we've, uh, you know, the pendulum has shifted sometimes way too far. But it shifted Mm -hmm. in terms of safety and security. And so if I start moving police out, who knows the police are coming out of the school? Students. Who are the majority of shooters in schools? Students. All of a sudden now, am I fostering? I don't know. I don't know these answers. I'm saying we need to have a discussion and we need to be able to discuss this and debate this, look at the research, talk about this. Let's not move too quickly here. I agree with some of the research. Quite honestly, when our team does assessments with schools, we are not focused on hardening buildings in the metal detectors and all of this that's coming up in this debate. The last thing I want is my daughters or my children walking into school each day and being reminded every single day how dangerous school can be. I think there's a lot of things we can do to make more passive security in schools where all of the students feel more comfortable. And it needs to be a bigger debate than just defunding or getting police out of schools. And you hit it on the nail. We want them to feel safe and secure. We want them to be able to focus on learning. And what sometimes we don't realize is like you said, with the metal detectors and There's more about safety than just physical. Obviously, we want our kids physically safe, but they need to have a peace of mind. And when they feel like they're walking into a prison or a fortress in that sense where things are are in their sight, for a better lack of words, it just creates more anxiety. 
which especially as you look at teens, that's the last thing they need. But even in the schools, when my daughter was young, it was after Sandy Hook. She was afraid to go to school. There's certain things you can't avoid, but there are ways, and I know that you're doing this to help keep schools safe and secure. Of course, nothing is as 100%, but without that fortress mentality, right? Without that kind of in your face feeling like these poor kids are walking into a prison. One of the things I've noticed in this debate, when I hear, take the police out of the schools and you're going to move very quickly, the next question I'm asking is, what do you replace that with? And I've seen several different models that have been thrown out, none of them well thought through or defined. Guidance counselors or private security. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, let's take a timeout. If you're going to introduce private security companies into schools, I can almost guarantee you we're going to create lots and lots of problems. Because oftentimes, you're not going to be able to pay the high-level security firms or the type of team that we have that come out of the Secret Service. Or are you going to have in a large urban school district 70, 80, or I know New York City schools has some 5,000 police officers assigned to the schools. You are not backfilling them with high-level security teams. These are going to be very low level. And a lot of times these are filled with individuals who want nothing more than to be a police officer and cannot even get hired by a police department. And now we're going to move them into the schools. What are we going to create? Well, I'm thinking of one state right now that went to a program like this, trying to get more armed security without arming teachers And they went to a program where they quickly train up these security folks and bring them into schools. Occasionally, it'll be retired law enforcement. That can be okay. But a lot of times, it's young individuals coming out of the military, and they're not necessarily well-equipped from shifting from warrior to the role inside the school. school. And in this particular... Right. It's a school. And not only that, you take a 22 year old, 23 year old, you give them now some power in a in a building or a school building. There has been an increase in sexual exploitation, inappropriate relationships. So it's brought with it many other problems. Trying to solve one problem has created many more More problems problems on the other side. You're wanting, in the police force, you're wanting the right people. So if you're going to replace that with a private security firm that isn't recruiting well, it's a nightmare. How could it not be? And I wonder, and I have no data, but I wonder with the police departments within school districts, my assumption would be, because we do not overpay our educators, we do not overpay our our, school employees, my guess is that these police officers are not overly paid and they're probably making less than police officers in municipal departments that surround them. So one, you get really good candidates. So you maybe you're the school that really learns how to recruit the right kind of officers in. You're going to become a stepping stone for them coming in getting trained, getting the academy under their belt, 
and then they're going to move on to another department that pays better. That's very common in law enforcement. You're going to become a continuous revolving door. The good people leave and you're only retaining those that nobody else wants to hire. And so I'm not even sure what the caliber or the pay within this. And so I think the bottom line is we just have to slow down and we have to put a really good strategic plan with a lot of debate and understanding. Unfortunately, we live in a world right now, everything's polarized. Everybody's on one side or the other, politically, personally, every discussion. I love debate. I love taking a topic and going back and forth. Matter of fact, I've told my leadership team for years, if you become yes people, you're not necessary to me anymore. I want somebody that's going to sit at the table and say, Mike, you are dumb. That is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And here's what we ought to do. Because we want good quality debate. What's happening is we just want to make quick, snap, fast decisions, and they're not going to have any lasting outcome. And what scares me about this topic is, could we potentially be making our children more at risk by some of these Mm -hmm. quick moves? Well, it's the key. The reality is usually snap decisions or, as you were saying, knee-jerk reactions don't pan out to be wise decisions. And and yes, it certainly is time to take action. I think we could all agree that there are reforms that are needed and action is needed in certain aspects. But it's also being able to, like you said, come to the table and, and reason and be able to really methodically look at the different avenues and where they lead instead of just making an abrupt decision that's going to lead us down a, ba- a worse path than than what we feel that we have now. So Mike, as always, it's another thoughtful episode and another something to think about. Now, if we have anyone that's listening that is in school administration and really interested in what you do, helping secure schools and even just being able to glean, they need some consulting or glean from you, where, what is the best avenue for them to reach out. Just jump on our website, safehiringsolutions.com. All of our contact information, everything they need. We have lanes right there specific to safe schools and everything that we offer related to that. Well, thank you, Mike. Again, thank you for what you do and look forward to our next episode. All right. Thanks, Melinda. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com